0: Hi, everyone. Tim Smith here, senior producer for Changelog. In the first segment of this show, Jared was using his MacBook microphone instead of his high PR40. This was done to bring awareness to a very specific issue. Every day, thousands of podcasts are recorded with a laptop mic, making it immensely difficult for the audience to listen. In 2018, we're baffled that this is still a problem. Go to choosetherightsource.org and join us in this fight. Now on with the show.
1: Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to leno.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by Rollbar. Move fast and fix things. Resolve errors and minutes and deploy with confidence. Head to rollbar.com slash changelog. Request a demo. Get started today. It's loved by developers, trusted by enterprises. And most of all, we use it here at Changelog. Move fast and fix things with Rollbar. Once again, rollbar.com slash changelog. Welcome to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows at the changelaw.com community. Follow us on Twitter. We're at jspartyfm. And now on to the show.
2: All right. It is time once again for JS Party. Today's show going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be a JavaScript party. It'll be a super set of a JavaScript party because our topic of conversation for today is not JavaScript. Well, it's kind of JavaScript, but we'll get into that. It is TypeScript. So we are officially calling this a TS party. This podcast will compile to JavaScript. That's right. So go ahead and run it through your, your webpack and see what comes out the other end um if you've been hanging out in the chat thanks for sticking with us we actually turned it into troubleshoot party as our live stream had issues but we're over that we're here we're happy and we're gonna have an interesting conversation about typescript so joining me today by the way my name is jared joining me is nick nisi what's up nick hey how's it going it's going very well um How about you? How are you doing? I am doing wonderful. I'm excited to talk about TypeScript. And you talked about Dojo last week. I saw on Twitter that you are also on... Another podcast talking dojo, is that correct?
3: Uh, yeah, I'll be talking about uh, dojo uh, recording just after this one, actually. Uh, it's the Script and Style podcast with uh, David Walsh and um, Todd Gardner.
2: Very cool. Well, after that goes live, share the link and we will share it through the JS Party channels as well. Also joining me today is Chris Hiller. Chris, how are you?
4: Hello. I've had a lot of coffee this morning, so... I'm, I'm ready to, to do this. Let's do it. All right. So let's start off TypeScript.
2: What is it and why should we give a darn? Nick, you are the, uh, I've been calling you the TypeScript bull, as this <laughs> will show is your idea and as you're very deep in the TypeScript community and using it, I believe, on a daily basis, or at least on a regular basis. So why don't you give us the intro um, and yeah, get us started. All right. Cool. Yeah. So TypeScript
3: uh, is, uh, as you said, a superset of JavaScript. Uh, and it was introduced in 2012 by Microsoft, and uh, they brought it brought it out after a couple of years of internal development and introduced it to the world. And I have to say that when it first came out, um, the SitePen, the company I was at, uh, was really looking into it uh, almost right away. I think, and uh, I wasn't enthusiastic about it because I had these horrible flashbacks of like CoffeeScript and and changing JavaScript into something that it's not. Uh, But that's not at all what what TypeScript is. Um, It's really just a superset of JavaScript that adds in um, uh, optional types so that you can uh, bring type safety to your apps on your own terms as you need them or slowly over time or all at once right away, whatever you want to do. And it was created by um, a guy named Anders Halsberg, and he also created C Sharp, Delphi, and Turbo Pascal. And he's at Microsoft uh, continuing to work on this. So he, to, he has no
2: credentials, is what you're saying?
3: Yeah, he, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a brilliant guy. And uh, um, uh, it shows through his work, obviously. Um, he was on the changelog, wasn't he, uh, in the past?
2: That's right, yeah. We had Anders on, uh, man, it's probably a couple of years ago now, episode 152, back in April of 2015. And he gave the backstory, the inside story at Microsoft of TypeScript. Jonathan Turner was also in that show. So if you want the, the deep dive onto it you know, being formed inside Microsoft and then coming out and uh, at least the history between 2012 and 2015, uh, go back and listen to that. We'll put it in the show notes. But no doubt there's been progress and really just massive adoption is what I've seen, mostly from the outside um, of TypeScript into different projects, different companies, different libraries. Um, but I'm curious, Chris, what's your experience with TypeScript? I'll tell you mine, none. So uh, I write <laughs> I write JavaScript. I actually liked CoffeeScript back in the day. Nick, you know that. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a, I was a fan of CoffeeScript because I didn't like um, a lot of the older JavaScript trappings. And CoffeeScript kind of spoke to my aesthetic sensibilities. I've since moved on back to ES6 and style JavaScript, but... I haven't actually used TypeScript at all. Like I've seen it, I've I've talked all about it, but I don't have any practical experience. Chris, how about you?
4: I was also pretty uh, wary of TypeScript. I didn't enjoy working with CoffeeScript actually, um, but so I, you know, another thing that compiles down to JavaScript. Not that excited about it, but you know, I, I, I so it was a while before I I tried TypeScript all i've really done with it is is basically try it so i've tried to use it um like two or three different on two or three different occasions on on personal projects and um just haven't gotten too terribly far with it um i, I do like you know some of the things that it offers but you know it it uh, i also have I, I struggle with it so i suppose we can talk about some of that um, but that's that's pretty much my experience with it. I, I'm really trying to get into it, but it just it just hasn't really
2: clicked for me. So maybe we could start with why. So you, it hasn't clicked, and you've had a few false starts, but you still say you're really trying to get into it. So apparently, you do see some value, even though you haven't quite got there, Chris. What is it about TypeScript that it offers? that you're interested in taking advantage
4: of. You know, for me, it's, it's really all about the, the type, the introspection and, and, and such offered by the, the server. And so your, your IDE, your editor can talk to the TypeScript server and get all this information about your code, um, that it's terribly difficult to get in, in, you know, vanilla JavaScript, um, because, you know, it, there's too much loosey goosey type stuff going on. Um, and and of course typescript makes it kind of easier to understand you know what what goes here what goes where what what this function can do it's just uh especially in VS code there's there's a ton of you know kind of uh inline and and context sensitive help and all that cool stuff um so for me it's it's the tooling
3: yeah i would agree with that the the tooling is the biggest uh win for typescript and it's why i really like it um i just use uh, Vim for all of my development work, uh, but because um, because TypeScript does provide this this TS server, uh, and that's what VS Code and others are talking to. Um, Vim can talk to that as well through plugins, and uh, I get much of the same benefits right there. I can do completion, smart refactoring, um, renaming of things, um, and and also get information about what the actual value is of a, a variable under my cursor uh, or get like information about the, the comments. If there's js.comments associated with that, I can get that information too.
2: So one thing I learned while talking with the VS Code team recently about VS Code and how you're talking about the TypeScript server and really the tooling wins that that provides is that even when you're using JavaScript, you don't have TypeScript in your build toolchain, for instance, so you're not like opting in Because TypeScript is a strict superset, basically all JavaScript going back to like, you know, ES3 or something like really old JavaScript, all that is valid TypeScript. And so they're able to not even use the JavaScript language server in the back end. They're using the TypeScript server even when you're writing JavaScript. And so there are some features I think you can take advantage of or that VS Code specifically is giving you with JavaScript even though you don't don't know about it.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. So VS Code does uh, take advantage of that for your JavaScript work too. So it's passing all of your JavaScript code through um, the TS server to infer what it can about uh, the files and, and all of the, the variables and everything within there. So if you're setting uh, this this variable somewhere in your file to a number, then it knows, it can infer that that's going to be a number. And if you change it to something else or try and use a string method on it, uh, then it can provide you with some intelligent um Tooltips that tell you, "Hey, you probably can't do this because it's you're using a number." We we think that you're using a number, and that's that's one of the big benefits. So, TypeScript um, it is just JavaScript, and then it does it. just allows you to add in these type annotations, but you don't have to go crazy with that because uh, you can you can just rely on TypeScript being able to infer what you're passing around to it as well. And so that's kind of the the minimal standard that um, that. VS Code would use for something like a JavaScript file and doing that. It also uh, is smart enough to understand um, some of the basics of JS.comments. And so if you have a JS.comment above a function and you are describing the arguments that that function takes, uh, you're not adding any TypeScript-specific code to that. You're just doing it in a comment, and the TS server can... Um, infer from that comment what the what types of variables can be passed to this function, and then give you warnings if you're using it in an improper way.
4: So yeah, I had a question about that. Is is it like a traditional like d- daemon or whatever that just kind of it, it runs in its own process and responds to like remote procedure calls or something? How does how does that work?
3: Uh, I don't know the specifics of that, um, but it does like on every keystroke in your editor, uh, like, and that can depend on the editor too, uh, but on every keystroke it's um, eff- effectively blowing away what it knows and then recompiling the world to, or recompiling its understanding of the application to give you intelligent insights on everything. Uh, so I think so. But yeah, it does run in the background like that and it's for every specific file.
2: So I understand how that would work inside of VS Code even with a client server architecture with a separate process or maybe... A- I wouldn't imagine it uses the network necessarily, but how about inside of Vim? Like, do you do you have to have the TS server like installed with Node, or like what's your setup to take advantage of those features in editors that aren't Microsoft's editor?
3: I can I can really only speak for Vim in this case, um, but I have a plugin called Ale or the Asynchronous Linting Engine. It's very similar to other plugins like syntastic or. Um, I'm forgetting the names of other ones that I've used in the past, uh, but those in the past I've used those just for linting. So every time I save a file, that will go through and pass what the file that I'm working on to uh, eslint or Hint or whatever it was in the past, and then that will come back and tell me all of the, the linting problems that I did and highlight the lines. Uh, Ale does that all in real time. As I'm typing, it's just constantly updating them with... Um, information about the line that I'm typing and, and what it understands so that I get real-time feedback on everything. And so it's going through that, and it's just reaching into, on, on my TypeScript projects, it's reaching into the local version of TypeScript that I would have installed in the node modules for that project. Or it can go for the global version if you have that as well.
2: So it's using your local, your node modules that are relative project-relative node modules. Correct. Via the Vim. Plugin oh, or extension? Okay,
3: right, and then there's other plugins as well. Uh, I'm using one currently called Tisokinomi, Uh and I'm looking at Say another what? one called—I <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, Excuse
2: you, it's not like you sneeze.
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm looking at another one called um, NVIM TypeScript that um, allows you to do other things, like it adds in method uh, functions that you can call from within Vim so I can like take the word that I'm my cursor is over and give me what you think the type is or give me the the definition or the the comments or go to the definition of that file so navigate over to that so it it uses the ts server to further enhance the capabilities of the editor to be able to to have a more holistic understanding of my project so where is the
2: line drawn between cuz i'm all about getting those free features but not necessarily committing to anything <laughs> if possible where what is the line drawn between what it can give me automatically on my javascript code by using the typescript language server in the background and then, what features I can't get, or I could get if I actually, you know, put .ts or you know, opted in to using like proper TypeScript even uh, uh, syntax.
3: So, if you're just using uh, .js files uh, with no type annotations in there at all, uh, then you're really only going to be getting what the TypeScript server can infer from your code. And so, your code would have to be run to be written cleanly um, using those those common Kind of de facto um, standards that we do within code, like not not changing the types of variables or um, or other things, and, and kind of having a strict set of arguments to a function. For for example, um, anything that it can infer from from that. So how you're using the code, like what variables you pass into a function call when you do it, or what what you're actually trying to do with the variables inside of that function, uh, it can infer that. And then when you're doing something that it doesn't understand, then it, um, it, it can warn you about that and let you know. So in my previous example, like you pass in a number and then you're trying to use a string method on the number. Uh, it can warn you that, Hey, it looks like you passed a number here. Um, or in this case, you passed a number or a string. So it can actually do, um, a union type and it understands that. So it it can say that in this variable that you pass in is either a string or a number, and then it can warn you if you're passing something else in, Uh, And then you can build in type guards within that function to, to say that when it's a string, do you like, it's safe to do this. And when it's a number, it's safe to do this.
2: Oh, that's cool. So those guard clauses are, can you like return early or anything like that in terms of the guards?
3: Yeah. And the guards are just set up because it's not really extending the language in any way. Those guards are set up with like type of calls. So you can say if a type of, or sorry, type of a equals string. Um, Then inside of that if statement, it's going to assume that A is always a string. Outside of that, it could be the union type again, a string or a number or whatever. And you can and you can refer, return from within there. Uh, then the return type of that function could be uh, undefined or a string or a number or whatever whatever the case is for the types that you're returning.
2: So Chris, going back to your desire to take advantage of some of the tooling, have you, have you tried what VS Code offers through the TS server or... Do you use Doc perhaps, with Mocha? Like, are there things that you could get for free without having to, you know, get over the hurdles that you've hit a couple times?
4: Yeah, um, I even uh, was able to kind of make, um, uh, I, I recently started using VS Code, and um, I was a WebStorm person before then, and I had, like, made WebStorm kind of do this um, uh, kind of, inference about JavaScript using TypeScript types. So if I'm using a, um, like, some third-party library, if I'm I'm using, like, a Lodash or something, um, I would um, have a copy of the, uh, you know, there's all these, we'll get to definitely type, but, I mean, there's all these... uh, uh, definitions, TypeScript definitions for third-party libraries like Lodash. Basically, if anything's popular, somebody's got a, has written TypeScript definitions for them, and so I can pull those down. And um, uh, WebStorm would use those type definitions to, you know, kind of infer uh, about the JavaScript I was I was writing. And um, you know that works okay, um, and it, it seems to work okay in VS Code. Um, with, with, with the JavaScript, it's, it's not like, it's not that awesome. <laughs> it helps a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, not everything uses JS doc, not everything uses JS doc the same way. Um, and you know, it's, it can only do so much with JavaScript. Now, uh, I've tried to use, you know, TypeScript, uh, in VS code and TypeScript in, WebStorm and yeah, it's great. Um, you know, it's uh, I think t- TypeScript. I mean, uh, VS Code does a better job with the integration, um, but still, um, yeah, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's cool. But you know, I I still have problems with it. <laughs> so.
0: This episode is brought to you by the O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Make your plans now to attend Fluent in San Jose, California, June 11th through June 14th to learn the latest JavaScript tools and methods. Be part of what past attendees call, quote, a great center for modern web development and disruption and, quote, the best place to see the current state of the web. Use the discount code JSPARTY to save 20% on most passes. Learn how to build a better web with better user experiences at O'Reilly Fluent Conference. Head to FluentConf.com to learn more and register.
2: So guys, we talked about how you can... Take advantage of some of TypeScript's tooling features with Vanilla JavaScript. What if you don't want to go all in, but you do want some of the TypeScript features? What's the easiest way, I guess, or the happiest path to, I have a .js file, and I want to go beyond taking advantage of the TypeScript language server, and I want to use some TypeScript features. How do I get started? Like, what's the... What do I got to do to to dip my toe in TypeScript water?
3: Uh, so TypeScript is a it's a module that you install from NPM, and so you can bring that into your project, and then you'll want to create a tsconfig file, and you can do that through the the TypeScript CLI. So you can just say npx tsc uh, dash dash init, or maybe it's just init, uh, and that will ask you some questions, and then it will create a tsconfig.json file. From there, and this is the file that configures how the TypeScript confi- uh, excuse me how the TypeScript compiler actually runs. And so, um, theoretically, you could start renaming files to .ts, and then in the includes section of the tsconfig, you could have it have some globs in there that point to those specific files, and you could start as bigger as small as you want, and just have it start um, compiling those to JavaScript. And so, if you just rename the files. Um, you would see a little bit of change uh, with the, the outputted uh, .js files. And you can specify if you want it to compile to uh, .ES, or an .es6 file, an .es5 file, or an .es3 file uh, to take advantage of whatever, whatever platform you're trying to run on, the, minim, the minimum platform there. So typically it's .es5 um, right now. And you can just have it run those through, compile those, and then you have the JavaScript files that you can then start running. Uh, there's also different cases with Webpack where you can start doing that and using TypeScript and JS interoperably with um, with Webpack's TypeScript loaders uh, along with others. And so it gets even easier from there. So you can start slowly uh, adding files or converting files from JS to TS. And when you first do that, uh, it kind of will, will all go back to the TS config where it's um, going to be running those type those compiler options. And depending on the level of strictness that you have set up in there, uh, that is going to determine how much the TypeScript compiler actually yells at you going forward. So you can have it really relaxed so it's not yelling at you for a whole lot of things. Or you can go the route that, that the projects I'm on typically go, which is strict true, where everything is turned on uh, and it will yell at you for every little thing.
4: So I mean it would seem to me that if if you have a project, you know, a web project, and and you've got your webpack config, and you've got a billion loaders set up, and then you want to sprinkle some TypeScript on, um, that seems like it might be very disruptive um, to that webpack config. Uh, because if you have, you know, some TS files, some JS files, and then, you know, what about, what happens with the code splitting, and, and yada, 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 and so um, is that uh, I, I've never tried anything like that, but I can speculate that that sounds painful. I mean, ha, ha, uh, do you have any experience with that?
3: Uh, yeah, a little bit, and and so you should be able to really add like the the TS loader, and then add um, the .ts or .tsx extensions as resolvable extensions, and then from your you can start compiling or renaming files to .ts, and then from your JavaScript files, you should be able to if they're written in like the ES. Uh, module syntax, you should be able to just pull them in like normal. And because you added those extra resolvers in there, it will just run the the TypeScript files through the TS loader uh, and load those in. And then um, it should be able to take care of things like code splitting and others, uh, but allow you to work with with both formats while you're in that transition pretty easily. Um, But of course, Webpack can be a, a black hole that (laughs) just sucks all of your time away. Right. um, (laughs) Ideally, that would work.
2: I mean, most of us, don't we all just kind of find a Webpack config on the internet that sort of works and then just like cobble ours together based on that blog post. And then once it works, never, ever, ever, ever touch it ever again.
3: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's where where other tools like um, we talked about Dojo last week and Angular and others, they have their own CLIs that are based off of Webpack, but they really abstract it away so that you don't have to deal with that and you're just dealing with with an, a simplified abstraction for uh, for all of that configuration. And those two projects uh, in particular are built on TypeScript, so it gives you that TypeScript right out of the box.
2: I actually have a Webpack life hack that I think I shared on maybe the change log. I don't know, I've shared it before, but I'll share it again for those out there because like in the chat Alex Ray is just working on a Webpack config right now. If you are stuck with Webpack, the life hack is this. You turn to Twitter (laughs) and you complain loudly about Webpack and you tag it Webpack or you at mention Sean Larkin. You don't have to at mention him. I don't know if he's still doing this because he's gotten very busy, but Sean Larkin, who's one of the Webpack core contributors, used to just watch Twitter constantly for anybody and he would like live help almost anybody who's got problems with Webpack and it was an amazing thing to behold. And um, you can get personal one on one attention from a Webpack core contributor, mostly by just complaining on Twitter. So there's a life hack for everybody out there. That's how I've uh, cobbled together a couple of Webpack configs in, in my days. Anyways, back, yeah, go back to TypeScript. Go ahead, Chris. Oh, yeah. So about that,
4: uh, the, the TypeScript loader, like last time I checked, I mean, that, that TypeScript loader is not like a, a core part of it's not like an official. Loader is it? I don't think so. I want, I'm just. I guess I'm wondering if that's like kind of on the on the roadmap, or I mean, do, does the Angular team use this this loader as well? I would be saddened, but not really surprised if if that TypeScript loader was some random single maintainer um, somewhere uh, <laughs> that that all of these <laughs> toolchains are are uh, uh, depending on.
3: Yeah, that is a concern. Uh, It's under the TypeStrong um, organization on GitHub. Uh, So I'm not sure if that's a company or what, but they also have like the TypeDoc project and others. Uh, So there's a lot of good popular projects in the TypeScript ecosystem out there. Um, And it's the one I've used. There's also another one called Awesome TypeScript Loader um, that I I have less experience with that one because TS Loader seems to to work in in a majority of cases.
4: Yeah, I remember when I tried it, I, I wound up, using the the, the the awesome one, because the official one didn't, like, I don't know, it, for some reason it was, like, behind, and didn't work with the latest version of TypeScript, or I don't even know, but um, uh, I re- I rec- as I recall correctly, the awesome TypeScript loader is um, just kind of a a personal, like, project of a, a person.
2: It seems this type strong one, the ts-loader link in the notes will has about 70 people contributing but if you look at the contribution graph it's there's two people that have you know, there's three people with double digit commits but one of them has 10 on the nose so there's it's mostly two people running it but it appears to be pretty well supported that being said 106 open issues well, well, that's the uh that's the joy of open source right is uh figuring out what's worth pulling in and and what's maybe more of a uh Liability than an asset in terms of dependencies, but what's the official way to to do it? Like that's the Webpack way, right? But is if you went to typescript dot org or wherever you would go, was like the official supported? Of like this is how you should use TypeScript. Will they say use the NPM module, or what will they say?
3: Uh, so you would just install the NPM module. So that's TypeScript, and that will give you a um, a CLI command, TSC or TypeScript compiler, and that's what's going to run. So if you you can uh, pass in command line arguments to that all you want. Or that tsconfig file that I mentioned, that it uh, just configures it by default so you don't have to remember all of the command line arguments over and over. You can just have it all in one config and then check that in with the project. And one of the config options in there is the uh, type of module that you want to support. And so you can, uh, TypeScript by default supports uh, ES modules CommonJS modules or AMD modules. And so if you were working in uh, with AMD or CommonJS in your existing project, you can configure TypeScript to uh, take the TypeScript files that you're writing with the ES module syntax and actually output that as CommonJS or AMD and then provide your own AMD loader or CommonJS loader like RequireJS or um, Browserify. Is that the other one? Um, Mm -hmm. And then just load load the project uh, as you would normally. And so it all really comes down to that. When you run the TSC, fi- uh, the TSC command, it looks at that config, compiles all of the JavaScript that you have, sorry, the TypeScript to JavaScript, puts that in a uh, build directory that you specify in that config, and then uh, those are the assets that you can actually run in the browser.
2: So we've mentioned that has TypeScript has gotten broad adoption by huge names, right? Microsoft, Google, Lyft, Slack, Dojo, RxJS. These are all either projects or businesses that are operating at a huge scale. And that's really what the, the sales pitch is, right? Like TypeScript is a superset of JavaScript that's going to help your JavaScript libraries or applications scale. It's interesting that most of what we're talking about is tooling and documentation and refactoring abilities. But really like the, the old school argument of like dynamic types versus static types or strong versus weak. I never remember the exact lingo. Gary uh, Vayner, not Vaynerchuk. Bernhardt would probably, you know, kill me if he hears that because he's very strict <laughs> on what means what. But I always think of strong versus, or I think of dynamic versus static. Typing is like, as your project gets bigger, you're either more or less likely to write bugs if you have, you know, static types. But none of us are talking about types. I mean, we're talking about. It allows our tooling to introspect our code and allows us to refactor at a click of a button, stuff like this. But we're not talking about bug reduction or the things that you think about at scale, right? Like, is that – I just wonder what you guys think about that.
4: Well, um, I I think that for me, the the reason why TypeScript has been a struggle is um, I'm I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so um, that's, that's difficult. Uh, as as somebody who spends their time coding, because it's it's really hard for me to call code good enough. Um, and so, if I'm using TypeScript, I have I, I now have types, and I have to figure out what the type is of these things, and I have to be very meticulous about, um, you know, what I call this or that. And and I think for me, it it just uh, it pulls me way down the rabbit hole of thinking about types. When I really just need to be thinking about the code and what it does hmm. um, and so that, uh, i i i think i said it's it's poison for perfectionists because for me it just it just uh it just it just dis- it's so distracting um just to just to, to struggle uh, to say I have to get this type right i have to get get it perfect and um not being content to, to use the the wild card any type um and that's 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 just tough. Uh, I, but as far as like in, in enterprise adoption and and uh, you know bug reduction, I have no idea. I, yeah. I don't even think I've gotten to writing too many tests. So
2: well, so Chris, I mean, uh, I'm curious what what you mean by you know like worrying about the types because I mean you got to think about it at some point, right? Like I. I I think of it in the classical sense of like you know a, a function accepting arguments and even Nick, that's what you were giving the example. Like this function takes a string and operates on it and returns mm-hmm. a new a new string, for instance. Um, it, you got to think about that as a string at some point. And so, where are you getting caught up? Because you know what what tends to happen. I, I write in dynamic languages all the time, Ruby and JavaScript. I do not use TypeScript. Um, even Elixir is another language I use, which is dynamically typed and I have you know I have to think about that a lot of times inside the bodies of my functions like you know what what if this is not what I'm expecting what do I do about it and so you do have to make those decisions I'm just wondering like is it pushing it too far up your mental stack so like think of it all up front and you get stuck and you're used to thinking about it later or
4: uh no I mean it's certainly not uh, the problem is not primitives the problem is not string or number or it's your own those types are, the, yeah, the, the the problem is these objects that, you know, maybe they're, it's an interface and I, I'm passing these objects around that have this, these certain properties or perhaps I'm expecting somebody to give me a callback and then d- describing using TypeScript what that callback back looks like and what it can or cannot return um, and then, you know, d- just like... Throwing generics on top of everything is that's that's kind of where it falls apart for me. It's gotcha. Just like, oh, oh no. Um, like okay, this this function accepts this this object that is this duct typed thing that is you know some abstract. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's that's that's just where it, there's just too much there for me yeah. to. Yeah, that's that's just all it is.
2: It makes sense that it's it's more it's more about your own types and your own objects, and it's about primitives. Um, I fi- I find as uh, in my situation as very much working on small teams or even lots of times a team of one, and I'm, I make apps. Right, I'm not a library uh, maintainer, and so I'm my I'm most of my code's user, right? Like my end users are using a website or a desktop app or something. So mo- most of the time a website, I'm almost always gonna be my own user. And so, you know, the annotations, even the documentation, you know, like defining the types up front for me just slows me down and doesn't allow me to kind of mold the code as I go or I have to go back and change the types. And so that's, that's what I hit. And so that's why it makes sense to me that, it, that it's good for scale. But if you don't need scale maybe not for you. And so that's kind of where I feel like I'm sitting. Um, Nick, you work you know, at scale, or you work on larger teams and larger projects. So tell us your experience.
3: Yeah. First off, I would agree with both of you that that, that is one of the hardest parts to getting started. And it does feel like it's um, impeding your productivity when you're just worrying about types. Because at the end of, of the day, the types are compiled out at compile time and have no effect on the runtime at all. So it seems crazy to spend so much time on something that will never run um but when you do get to a larger team uh with with a lot more developers or a really big code base that you can't keep everything in your head uh, i do think that it has benefits there because uh and it goes back to to the tooling that we've been talking about because the your your editor uh will be able to tell you how to use something that you may have written six months ago without you having to go back and even look at the code uh it can just you know infer like or or show you this expects two arguments that are this and this, or right. it's going to expect an object that has all of these parameters, but some of them are optional, um, and you know all of that. So it, it it does help you with that. Helps you to keep everybody on a bigger team on the same page, uh, because you're really writing contracts for everybody to to adhere to, and then they're strictly, um, they they have to strictly adhere to it because the TypeScript compiler will will yell at them otherwise. Uh, so it really does help with that. But when you're if you're just trying to do some rapid prototyping. Uh, it can definitely get in the way because it, it makes you feel like you have to really think about things uh, and flesh them out and then uh, you write the types for them or write interfaces for them and then go back and change those if you have to. So there's just a lot more code to change in between iterations, which can be tough. Um, or if it's if it's just a, um, a smaller project, maybe that tooling, like if you can keep everything in your head, it, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Uh, to have all of that because you can it's just getting in your way and you can go faster without it i totally get that too and then it, it further complicates things when you have third-party javascript that you want to to use within typescript that i have spent so much time trying to get types loaded and to find the correct types for things that are written in javascript just so that i can get the compiler to not yell at me about you know some jquery function i'm using or or something along those lines like something external that's that just has these, these um, type definition files that have no real um, association with the project other than that they exist on uh, in the de- definitely typed repo or, or other places. Um, and that can be challenging to get started up on, uh, especially when you're first starting off on a project. That's like the slowest thing. I was just doing this yesterday, trying to get a project started up and trying to use some older uh, dojo stuff with the dojo types. And it's still a struggle to get all of that set up and working properly.
4: I think, you know, just if if there was a large project and um, say there were two at your company and uh, one of them was written in JavaScript and one of them was written in TypeScript and you, uh, wanted, you were expected to choose between them and, and which one are you going to step into and start maintaining and, and learn from scratch, yeah, you should pick the TypeScript one because it's going to be... So much more clear about what everything is. Like, I, I, I totally see that um, that benefit. It's it's it it, it, it helps. Uh, you know, if somebody's done it for you, sure. Like, there's there's all these. <laughs> as long as you don't know, have to write the, as long as you're not writing like, the science, you're
2: happy. Yeah, yeah.
4: I I like. Uh, you know, I I have contributed a few little random PRs to TypeScript projects, and it's fun. Uh, it's easy to understand what's going on but uh, just yeah, having to think about that stuff myself is, it's pain for me
2: we've seen a lot of open source library teams and authors adopt typescript for that reason that you know they're willing to put in that extra effort um up front if you will or while they are you know building out the architecture in order to ease adoption from contributors and uh Makes sense. I d- yeah, I, I mean, that, that makes sense from, from my perspective. I've never um, tried to, you know, I've never opened a PR on a TypeScript project and thought, oh, this is way better. Be- I just haven't come across that situation. But it's interesting hearing, uh, Chris, that, that that's an experience you've had. And I think that's a testament to to what it provides.
4: And I think it's important to note that, or maybe not important, it's just like <laughs> it's interesting to, to recognize that I never felt that way about a coffee script. Project uh, like if there was a coffee something written in CoffeeScript, and I wanted to, like I wouldn't send the PR, you know. Uh, if I was like, oh, there's a bug in this thing, I could I should go fix it, and I go and look, and it's CoffeeScript, forget it.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, CoffeeScript was a departure though, so there was you know it's 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 more of a dialect as opposed to TypeScript, which you could say is also a dialect, I guess, of JavaScript, but. Uh, more syntactically familiar, whereas CoffeeScript was introducing not just syntactic sugar, but also, you know, new functionality. So I could see where that would be a stopping point. And we've seen libraries switch from CoffeeScript to either vanilla JavaScript or who knows, maybe now TypeScript because of because of that that road bump. It's putting it was putting in people's. But yeah, it definitely helped push the industry forward, though. So I think it was, I think it was a net win for programming. Um, but I'm glad that it doesn't have to be out there in in mass use anymore.
3: Yeah, and I think that TypeScript uh, being a superset of JavaScript is that that's one of its big benefits too. In that uh, JavaScript is always changing. You know, every year we're getting new uh, TC39 proposals going through that process and getting added to the language. And TypeScript isn't standing still. It's staying on top of all of those. And as features become more, uh, as they pass through that. Uh, stage process from TC thirty uh, nine, when when they reach like stage three, if they can be transpiled back to like ES five, they do get supported into uh, TypeScript, and so it is kind of a a safe way to use the next version of JavaScript with types as well.
4: Is there any proposal uh, currently in the pipeline that would um, that TypeScript couldn't um, implement because it would conflict with? Its own language.
3: So there's the um, the class properties proposal, and with that, there's the privates. Um, so being able to use that that pound sign for for privates uh, on classes natively in in JavaScript, TypeScript has already been using the private keyword to do that. Uh, but of course, that's just a compile time check. This would actually be a runtime check. There are also some some differences. So. Um, there is an issue open. I can find it and put it in the show notes, uh, that, um, discusses that, but I don't know the exact outcome. I think last I, I checked, um, it makes sense for them both to exist, but, uh, I don't know if, if they would ever reconcile.
4: Yeah, it would need to be something like a, just a, a purely syntactic thing that has, uh, like an, a, conflict, um, I can't think of anything. It's it's probably in the best interests of everybody, um, as much as I'm sure the TSC or uh, the uh, uh, you know the TC thirty nine team doesn't want to have to worry about TypeScript. They, it's probably a good idea to not just you know brazenly introduce things that will break TypeScript.
3: Right, and that's where I think it's a, a safe thing, like like a safe way to stay on the latest versions of JavaScript, because you're not on the bleeding edge, you're not on the the stage zero, stage one, stage two proposals, you're on this prescribed, these are likely not going to change, and so they're supported by TypeScript, and if they, for some reason they changed, uh, there would probably be some kind of um, conversion within TypeScript to to help handle that, uh, potentially, but usually they don't get there, and they they don't implement them in the language until the the syntax is, is... certain. The only exception to that is decorators.
4: Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, TypeScript has its own idea of about decorators mm-hmm. and uh, that has diverged from. I, I don't even know where that uh, proposal is anymore. But
3: yeah, <laughs> but they have it because of uh, because of Angular. When when Angular was switching over to TypeScript, they actually wanted to have a superset of TypeScript called AtScript that basically added that and some other features. Uh, but then those were actually brought down into TypeScript in version 1.5, uh, and it just stayed as TypeScript.
0: Hey, everyone. I'm Tim Smith, senior producer here at Changelog. You know how important it is to stay in the know. And our weekly newsletter helps you and thousands of other developers do exactly that. It's the developer news that matters. Nothing more and nothing less. Visit changelog.com and subscribe today.
2: All right, we are switching gears just a little bit. This is related to TypeScript in a sense that it's about types, but it's a different conversation. I wanted to talk about developer titles and uh, the difficulty of titling us, what we do, who we are, stuff like that. There's two distinguishments that we see out there. Um, One I think is completely arbitrary, so I'm playing my cards right up front, and I think it's not useful, but I've started to see a trend where People are distinguishing between the terms programmer, developer, coder, engineer, and maybe there's more, but those are the four that I see often either just used or perhaps compared and contrasted. A second type that I think is more useful, perhaps just as hard to distinguish between, is between the idea of a junior and a senior in terms of a developer slash programmer slash engineer, etc. So I wanted to talk about that and, and get your guys' take because my take on the first topic of this distinguishment, and I've seen it twice recently by people that I respect and somewhat admire, is uh, distinguishing specifically between engineers versus programmers. And uh, both examples were... Different. That's why I say I think it's arbitrary. Like neither one of them were agreeing. They were completely different criteria by which they were explaining what makes an engineer versus a programmer. And both of them introduced kind of a class hierarchy in terms of you want to be an engineer and now you don't want to be a programmer. So the programmer is somehow less than. Um, so let's start with that. What you guys think are, first of all, what do you call yourself to people? And does that matter? And do you see what I see? And what are your thoughts on programmer? Or developer titles. Uh, so
3: my official title at my at the company I'm at is senior software engineer, uh, but I typically just go with developer. Um, I I don't really care about the distinction or or think about it much.
2: What do you think about it when other people use it? So for instance, what if I'm ignorant of the distinction and I call myself a programmer because that's just a word that I've used? But out there exists, or there's beginning to form, a distinction in which programmer is somehow a lower level expert or skill set. Maybe I'm pigeonholing myself. Is this a trend that you are, you know, you for, against, indifferent to these distinctions? Like you don't seem to care personally, but do you care if we kind of adopt (laughs) a, a social norm around these things?
4: This this is kind of this is kind of a tough. Yeah, somebody said in the the uh, Slack chat it's a powder keg of a topic. Um, personally, so my job title is developer advocate, but the, <laughs> the cross section of people who have any idea what that means is yeah. uh, is very very few. And so uh, it could just it's like when I say you know my job is such and such, I uh, you know depending on who I'm talking to, I could say you know I'm a uh, it's usually i'll just say i'm a programmer um if uh if i'm writing something on like a form that wants to know what my job is i put software engineer um but yeah I, as far as like official titles like i i don't even know i do not know um i there's there's all sorts of you know title inflation you know there are states where you can't call yourself an engineer without you know um, it's like illegal to 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 do that or something um, you know because the the ter- the term engineer is reserved for you know civil engineers mechanical engineers um, people with certifications. Uh, right. And there is there is no such certification for for software engineers though there might be in some states. I I don't remember. But yeah. That's tough.
3: I think I saw a few years back um when this topic came up again somebody referring to to a better term which would be like a software gardener uh because that's more appropriate to what we actually do. We kind of grow software from from seemingly nothing.
2: I think that was well. I, I know specifically a blog post that I think about often was Steve Klabnik's, um, open source is like gardening or something like that, referring to how you like actually maintain and and grow an open source project is more like it should be modeled after the way a gardener goes about maintaining and growing a garden. So that definitely resonates. I haven't heard anybody say. I am a software gardener, or we should be calling ourselves software gardeners, but I think that's a fit metaphor. So like this is, this is a distinction that I, I heard a quote of that kind of got me thinking down this, where the one distinguishing, and I'm not, I'm not here to call anybody out, so I won't even quote who it is, but just the, the idea is that a programmer seeks first to solve a problem and perhaps later understands the problem better, and then an engineer seeks first to understand the problem and perhaps later solves the problem. And so, I mean, that's completely out of context. That was a quote I saw on Twitter that got me thinking of, like, what are we doing here? (laughs) This seems like somehow now an engineer, you know, is a deeper thinker than a programmer. I've also heard uh, elsewhere where, you know, people degrade the word coder because that's if you're a code monkey or you, like, don't actually think. You just go type into a keyboard, but a developer is, like, an enlightened person. And so it seems like a troubling trend Um, where the three of us don't seem to have opinions on these words. I think they're just swap them in, whatever makes you feel good. But I think labeling other people as certain ones and then creating distinctions where I don't believe, you know, there's a standard around how they actually are distinguished. I think engineer might be like you said, Chris, eventually more of a distinction if there is a license, I hope not, or a, you know, accreditation that makes you an engineer and now, you know, gets you a raise or whatever but i fear that you know these things could be used to basically lord over other people uh whose skill sets are you think inferior to others
3: yeah i i do have a problem with it when it's referred to in in this way uh because it, to me that implies that uh, a programmer will never be an engineer and an engineer will never be what will not like downgrade to a, a programmer in the in this context um and it like it, it to me though like you know the the order of which you do things solving a problem uh, and then trying to understand the problem or vice versa, that comes with experience. And I don't think that being more experienced would magically change you into an engineer.
2: Yeah, I mean, just thinking about how I talk about myself, I, and I don't think any of these terms uh, hold weight over the others, but I will tend to just say, you know, what do you do? I just say, I write software. Or as uh, Montes Lu says in, in the chat, what do you do? I make websites. Like to laymen, that's actually something that makes sense to them. I make websites but uh for industry insiders and of course these distinctions are happening inside our industry it's not like we're making distinguishments for the general public to use but I think we see it inside HR departments and in hiring practices it could perhaps become toxic let's go to uh, the other one which I think is much more useful but also just as hard to to define because it seems like it's a the field goal posts are always moving which is what makes a junior developer versus a senior developer and uh, I saw a funny tweet about this that I was pulling up from Trek Glowowski. Since our industry seems hell bent on giving people senior titles who are in the first decade of their career, I like to propose we introduce a new layer of elder software engineer for people in the 11 to 20 year range, and ancient software engineer for those 21 plus. So a bit tongue in cheek there, but Trek is you know lamenting the fact that. Uh, senior is not being used the way he likes it, right? It, it, and people who are, you know, not—they're still in their first decade, and so he's saying it's—it's it's about decades. But curious, what your guys are thoughts on senior versus junior developer? Is there a distinguishment that we can come to? You know, uh, is it completely in the eye of the beholder?
4: If you—if your title is a junior, then um, that just means your company pays you less. That's definitely a fact. So, how do you get them to call you a senior? <laughs> I don't even know. You don't know. I mean, I was, I was, I was a senior. Oh, let me see here. How how many years into it? Um, it would have been. Yeah, I, w- I was a senior before before my first decade was
3: out. Sure, software moves a lot faster than decades.
2: Kind of like dog years, you know, seven for every one or something like that.
3: <laughs> yeah. So like, there's there's a lot of experience that you can get, and then um, you have to stick at stick with it. Uh, and you learn how to learn, i think, and that might be some kind of distinction, but I don't think that it really i don't know i don't i don't really like that term either um i I like thinking of them in terms of like uh a mentor mentee type type thing where where a uh, a junior developer would be more of a um, you know they they would be learning to learn and then the the senior would be kind of helping to facilitate that learning, but also trying to learn because that's, you should never stop. Uh, And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that seniors can't learn from, from juniors at all. Um, But they're just, I don't know. I feel like I'm painting myself into some weird corner now.
4: (laughs) Google's idea uh, on, on job titles, I think, you know, for as many issues as Google has, um, that's not a bad idea, but, others may disagree. So uh, as far as I know, like most everybody uh, there is just software engineer. There's no senior, there's no junior, there's no programmers, there's no, you know, software engineer three. Um, You know, there's nothing like that. Right.
3: They just have pay levels associated with that.
4: Yeah. As far as I know, that's just, everybody's a software engineer there. But um, maybe some people have different titles. I don't I don't know. That's just the impression I got.
2: That was similar to how the way GitHub handled itself in the early days. I'm not sure how it works anymore, but everybody came on at the specific exact, as everybody was software engineers or developers or coders back then at first, um, and they wore many hats as a small startup, but they all started at the exact same salary, and then it was just like every year you just got... Raise, and it was just standard. And so it's just based on not how long, many years you've been in, in in the industry, but specifically your salary was just based on how long you were at GitHub. Um, and, and I think that had a change as they you know, grew as a company. So, But yeah, that's kind of level, level ground. I'm definitely a fan of level ground in terms of the nomenclature that we use uh, amongst ourselves. I understand that inside businesses, you have to come up with a structure. And businesses pick s- different structures. And so they can all have their own definitions of these things, but I do think that there's there's a there's a connot- there's a negative connotation towards juniors that it's like you're trying to escape that. All right, like when can I become not a junior anymore? And uh, it seems like the goalposts are always moving. Um, so tricky things for sure.
3: I think that it can be de- detrimental to call yourself a senior too. I know that when I quote unquote earned that title. Um, I felt like I lost permission to ask stupid questions. And I think that that, um, that put me into a, a period of burnout for a little while, huh. uh, or, or imposter syndrome, it like took over, which led to burnout. Uh, so I think that, that it can be dangerous in that sense too. That was just, you know, me coping with that. I know I can ask stupid questions and I do regularly. Uh, but, uh, it really felt like, like you're a senior now. You shouldn't do that. All or right. You should know this.
2: Cool, interesting stuff. Well, uh, fun little diversion uh, from TypeScript, but uh, you know, can't be all a TS party. We had to, we had a we had to work some more, some more stuff in here. That being said, I do want to promote our call-in line. We would love to hear listener voices on this show. Uh, That's one of the reasons why when we relaunched, we expanded the panel. We want more voices, whether you're a junior or a senior or just a little coder or a big software engineer, whoever you are out there, we want to hear from you. Let us know uh, what you think, and you may even hear your own voice on a future JS Party. The number to call is 888-974-CHLG, like changelog. That's 888-974-2454 hit extension one for JS Party. Leave your name, leave your comment. If you have a question, maybe you have something to say about TypeScript that didn't get represented and you want that played in a future show. Maybe if you have a great way to distinguish between junior and senior devs and you want to tell us, call that number, leave us a message. We will receive it. And you may hear your own voice on an upcoming episode. We would love to have even more people at this party. But that is it for today's show. Uh, Chris and Nick, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for teaching me about TypeScript. And uh, that's all, folks. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here.
1: All right. Thank you for tuning in to JS Party this week. Tune in live on Thursdays at 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern at changelaw.com slash live. Join the community and Slack with us in real time during the shows. Head to changelaw.com slash community. And do us a favor. Share this show with a friend. Read us an a podcast. Go into Overcast and favorite it. And thank you to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, head to fastly.com to learn more. And we move fast to fix things around here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. We're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers. Head to Leno.com slash changelog. Check them out and support this show. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. And you can find more shows just like this at changelog.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.